Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, as we discuss conversations a lot in this podcast, key conversations we must have with our children about tough topics from leadership to sex, death, divorce, porn, failure, ADHD, bullying, discussions where emotions can run high, agendas can cloud our openness and our listening abilities and our true presence. Fear can make us shy away from saying what truly needs to be said or heard or understood. What if there was a step that we needed to take before we had all those important conversations? A step that acknowledged the importance of dignity for each person, to hold another person's dignity as precious and valuable, while also knowing that our own would be kept intact as well. How might that affect our key conversations we have with our partners, with our children, with our teachers, instructors, coaches, people who touch our lives and help to shape how we all evolve? And what if we focused on dignity as a fundamental part of raising our children to become leaders, the leaders we hope them to be, showing and discussing how we can lead with dignity and create a culture that brings out the best in people? For these questions and more, we turn to our distinguished guest, Dr. Donna Hicks. Dr. Donna Hicks is an associate at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs at Harvard University. She facilitated dialogues in numerous unofficial diplomatic efforts in the Middle East, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Colombia, Cuba, Libya, and Syria. She was a consultant to the BBC in Northern Ireland, where she co-facilitated a television series, Facing the Truth, with Archbishop Desmond Tutu. She has taught courses in conflict resolution at Harvard, Clark, and Columbia universities, and conducts training seminars in the U.S. and abroad on dignity leadership training and on the role dignity plays in resolving conflict. She consults to corporations, schools, churches, and non-governmental organizations. Her book, Dignity, It's Essential in Resolving Conflict, was published by Yale University Press in 2011. And her second book, Leading with Dignity, How to Create a Culture that Brings Out the Best in People, was just published by Yale University Press in August 2018. I want to thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Donna Hicks, on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Robin, it's my pleasure. So before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to read your books yet or see you speak, you are on a TED Talk, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and how you got so interested and involved and the concept of dignity and the role it plays in effective conversation and conflict resolution and leadership. Yes, Robin, you know, it's the role that it plays in all our lives. And we're many, many people with whom I've worked aren't even aware that this concept is alive and well inside them. So it's, you know, it's so exciting to me to be able to share um, this learning that I've, you know, engaged in over the years about dignity because it all started when I was working on in international conflicts and I could see that the parties who, who sat down at our tables because our role was to to bring parties together for dialogue and they would be sitting there trying to figure out how to you know how to negotiate and compromise on the political issues and yet it was so clear to me Robin as a psychologist um, that there was, you know, another conversation taking place at these tables and it had, you know, it was an emotionally laden conversation. And of course, there's no words because nobody ever talked about the emotional issues. Really, I mean, nobody wanted to talk about them. 
But I realize if we're going to move these conversations about the political issues that divide them, we first have to have a conversation about these, you know, remarkable emotional um, hurricanes. I talk about hurricanes or a tsunami mm. that was going, you know, that would be going in and out of our discussions. And so to make a very long story short, I, I decided that we had to address these emotional um, outbursts and, and disruptions because these emotional disruptions were making it impossible for them to sign on to an agreement, you know, to really come to a peace agreement. So anyway, after many attempts, you know, I remember one time saying to them, look, you know, we really have a lot of emotions in this room. Can we talk about that? Mm. And, oh, my gosh. Nobody wanted to go there. Okay, no way. We're, this is about the politics. This isn't about emotions. So... Finally, finally, I found this word. I mean, it came to me like a flash of insight that, you know, what really is preventing them from, from, you know, moving forward and what's causing this emotional uproar is our violations to their dignity. And if we can only have a conversation about times in which they felt their dignity had been assaulted in this, you know, in this conflict, maybe that would, you know, maybe we could have the conversation then. Well, my instincts paid off because when I introduced this first, I was in South America, I introduced this first to a, two parties in conflict. And when I said to them, Robin, would you be willing to have a conversation about the dignity issues that are, you know, keeping you from resolving your conflict? And Honestly, every single hand went up in the room. Everybody said, yeah, we'd be willing to talk about dignity because you see, it, it, there, there's sort of, a, there's a kind of legitimizing uh, effect when you say, well, I'm upset because my dignity was violated. You know, that's validating to people and they want to tell those stories. So anyway, I started out there and it's been, what, about 12, 15 years now? And I'm, this is the only conversation I have with these parties in conflict now. How to address the underlying dignity violations that are making it impossible, you know, the big emotional reactions that are making it impossible for them to sign on to an agreement. So that's how it all started, Robin. It's incredibly interesting and so helpful. And I love that you found sort of this magic word to help people unleash the emotions that they did not want to reveal. Uh, emotions, I guess, seem so vulnerable um, and sort of objective when, and yet, you know, the, the or subjective, I should say, and dignity seems so valid, I think, to people um, that anybody could see that the dignity is being violated. So I, I feel like you did hit on that magic word, and I think it can be used in so many different ways. You say that in your TED Talk, when you've asked top leaders what dignity means, and I just see you in this room with these top leaders, that they often answer you with the word respect, but you say that these words are actually quite different from one another. So how do we define dignity and how does it differ from respect? Well, how I think it's different from respect is it has to do with the fact that dignity is something that each and every one of us was born with. You know, and I, if I'm giving a, a talk, I usually have a slide at this point with a precious baby, a newborn baby, and I say to the audience, take a look at this precious child. Would we say for an instant that this child doesn't have value and worth? Because dignity is basically the simple definition is that it's our inherent value and worth. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so when I say this to audiences, they see these sweet little precious being, you know, just newborn infant and how, how not only valuable they are, but they're invaluable you know, priceless and even irreplaceable. So what do we do with something that's invaluable, priceless and irreplaceable? So my, you know, I usually don't have to go any further than that um, in, in, in telling uh, or in convincing the audience that dignity is that we are born with it. And uh, respect, on the other hand, um, I think respect has to be earned. Now, let me tell you how I really got to this, this insight about the difference. 
when I would be working with these parties in conflict, you know, they, these people, some of these conflicts have gone on for 30 or 50 years. And um, they would be, they would say to me, you know, we are demanding respect from the other side. We just demand it. And I, I would say to them, you know, though, no, that's a bridge too far. You can't ask people to demand, you know, demand that you demand respect. What you can do, though, is demand to be treated with dignity because everybody has dignity. And that's really what is fueling your problem is these underlying assaults to dignity. So that it just it makes it really clear that, yes, we are all born with dignity. We should all be treated with dignity. But respect, I think, has to be earned. Mm-hmm. Very, just very important distinction. And uh, it's an important one that we describe to kids as well. And and that, you know, it's not something that we just have with adults, but that we, from the very beginning, no matter what our differences are, that we need to regard everybody as, as somebody who has dignity. At one point in your book, you talk about hierarchies in the workplace. And it was hard not to draw comparisons to the hierarchies that are often seen and developed in schools, which of course you mentioned as well. You allude to Robert Fuller's book, Somebody's and Nobody's Overcoming the Abuse of Rank, who warns us of the dangers that are inherent in ranking human worth. So tell us how this idea of dignity and hierarchy can illuminate what needs to be done in schools or and what has been done in some schools when it comes to different groups or popularity, bullying, sort of overall, how people are being seen and regarded. Yeah, that's a that's a really important conversation um, because in my framing of all of this, in my work with dignity, it doesn't matter whether it's with corporations or in schools or in faith communities, it doesn't matter because the, the single truth is here that we, as I said, we are all born with dignity. We're all equal in dignity. Now, at the same time, with hierarchies, there are people who have power over us. We have bosses. We have presidents. We have, you know, people who are making decisions on uh, on behalf of us. And so, so that is, we can't deny that there is that asymmetry there. But the fact is, we may differ in status but we're all equal in dignity. And I think this underlying truth, um, if leaders, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I wrote this book, is I just wanted to make it absolutely clear that no matter whether you're a teacher working with a child or a supervisor working with, you know, someone who's under you, working with you and for you, that person or that child deserves to be treated with dignity no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, having worked now in, a, in several schools, working with teachers who are developing uh, curriculum for their young ones. I mean, I have a teacher in, um, in Texas at Trinity Valley School in Texas, Fort Worth, that has developed an entire curriculum. They, she calls it a dignity leadership training for third graders, Robin, mm. young as third grade. And these these young people, they understand this so it's almost like raw knowledge. Mm-hmm. They know the difference between when someone treats them well and when someone treats them badly. They have an instinctive reaction. And you wouldn't believe how responsive they are to to understanding dignity and realizing everybody deserves to be treated with dignity. Um, you know, even moving up and down the hierarchy. They understand that their teachers have power over them, but their teachers also have to be held accountable for treating them with dignity. So, you know, it's just, it's so remarkable to me, the wisdom, um, the sort of innate wisdom that children are, are come, you know, are born with, and they, they just have that raw sense of what's right. You know, they just get this. And, you know, Honestly, this woman, Carol Grementine, her name is in Fort Worth, Texas, has put together the most beautiful curriculum for for kids as as young as eight and nine years old. So it's something that they know because they've been bullied. I mean, you know this, Robin. You've got kids. Kids can be rather heartless and and ruthless Mm -hmm. in, in the classroom or on the playground. And yet, at the same time, they understand this vulnerability that all of us have to being treated badly. 
So it's just, it, it's a joy. It's a total joy to see how these young people are responding and taking up the charge. Um, I, I just love it. Mm, mm. Yes, absolutely. And when they grow up with these messages and understanding how to treat others with dignity and see others for their dignity, then they become adults who can see people for their dignity. So I think starting early is so crucial. You talk about 10 elements of dignity that are really at the core of your dignity model and how to create leaders who lead with dignity. So can you explain some of the some of those core elements and how they help to illuminate the key aspects of dignity. Yes, Robin, the, the, the way I came up with these 10 elements of dignity was by interviewing people all over the world and asking them to tell me about a time when you felt your dignity was honored and what was that like? What, you know, tell me some stories about that. And mm -hmm. no matter where I was in the world, the stories, the content of what the people were talking about was similar no matter whether it was Asia, Africa, North America, South America. And yet, the, you know, the, the, the context was different. But the underlying desire to be treated well took on these patterns. And this is how I came up with these 10 patterns. So, for example, people want their identity accepted no matter who they are, no matter their race, their religion, their ethnicity you know, their sexual orientation, people want to be treated as if they were worthy, no matter what their identity, they want recognition, um, you know, and validation for what they've done, you know, whether they worked really hard and did a good job. Um, so we all want that kind of recognition. And acknowledgement is another one of these issues that came up everywhere. You know, people when people suffer indignities, they want acknowledgement for what they've endured for the suffering that they've endured. They want somebody to say, gee, you know, Robin, if you had a, if you had a, you know, a humiliating experience in school, um, that must've been horrible. That shaming must've felt terrible mm -hmm. you know, when your teacher violated your dignity like that. And so people need that acknowledgement because they want to know that what happened to them was wrong. You know, mm -hmm. that nobody should have to endure that. And, you know, these are all other the safety. People want to feel safe. Now, it's not just physical safety here. It's also people want to feel safe to speak up when something bad happens to them. So there's this psychological safety that's just as important to people as physical safety. They don't want to be humiliated. They want to be able to say to the person who's harmed them, look, that, you know, you just you just really hurt me. And that was not acceptable. So safety is interesting. Just in parenthesis here, Robin, when I went into the corporate world for the first time and did, you know, hundreds of interviews with people and I asked them, you know, what, tell me about what the worst violation is here in your, in your workplace. And 80% of the respondents said that what was violated was their safety. 80%. Hmm. And it was safety again. Um, for not feeling like they could speak up. They didn't feel like it was safe to speak up when someone violated their dignity, especially their leaders and their supervisors and so on. Mm -hmm. So this one, you know, I always, I was always, uh, and continue to be surprised when I get that um, response um, from people. And it, it's not just the corporate world, it's everywhere. Nobody likes to speak up when their boss or their, you know, person above them treats them badly. Okay, some other, I mean, just quickly go through fairness, you know, kids know fairness is another one that's fairness is sort of built into our desire for, you know, being treated fairly. Um, independence, uh, people want to be uh, empowered to be in control of their lives instead of being micromanaged. And understanding is another element of dignity. You know, people don't like to be stereotyped or, you know, be labeled in some way without having a chance to really talk about their perspective. People want to be understood. They don't want to be judged for some, you know, something that they may not have done. People want understanding. Mm -hmm. And two more, benefit of the doubt. People want to be thought of as trustworthy. And finally, um, accountability. When, when somebody experiences a violation of their dignity, they want the person to apologize. They, they want somebody to say, look, you know, I'm sorry. I, I harmed you. I'm sorry I violated your dignity. And here's the, here's the big part. They also want people to say, 
And I'm going to work really hard at not doing that again. Because how many times have you been, you know, given an apology and the person will just repeat the same offense over and then apologize again and then repeat it. So absolutely. I tell my kids that, too. I say saying you're sorry to someone. It's not just that you're sorry for what just happened, but that you are going to work very hard to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And that's part of the apology. It's part of it. It definitely is. Yeah. 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 So no, those key elements are so important. And I, I have to tell you that uh, when I, I have a powerful words curriculum that I write uh, in, on character education, and when we came upon the word dignity uh, about, I think it was about two months ago, I quoted your, uh, your system and your 10 elements when answering a parent about uh, what some key elements of dignity are and, and, and what we really need to be teaching kids. Because when we take that word dignity can feel very big and um, a little bit elusive when you're talking to children. But when you take it apart and start talking about the elements that you just highlighted from safety to acknowledgement, um, you know, that these kinds of things, people understand those. Yes, I want to feel acknowledged. Yes, I want to feel that if I speak up, it's going to be kept safely between these two or three people, or I'm going to feel okay about having released that information and know that you're going to, you're not going to attack me. I'm safe here. What my words are, my feelings are safe here. They understand these concepts. And so I like the way that you piece it apart because then dignity becomes all these pieces put together that are much more easy to understand rather than this big, amorphous thing that we just say we know when we see it but we're not quite sure what it is oh yes and in fact you know i think the the main thing that i contributed um with this dignity work robin is um is giving people a vocabulary mm -hmm. a way to talk about it because everybody understands this i mean even you know i say um that these elements are common sense, you know, people say, oh, yeah, of course, this is the way we all want to be treated, right? Mm -hmm. It's common sense, but it's not common knowledge. Right. And so these are things that have to be learned. And when I first started out um, in my first book, writing about these elements and so on, um, I what I wanted to do, Robin, was to create an opportunity for people to address a source of human suffering that is worldwide. Believe me, I've been all over and I see these dignity violations everywhere. And, and because this is a source of human suffering that we can do something about. We can learn about dignity and how vulnerable we all are to having our dignity violated and what a crushing feeling it is when somebody violates our dignity. And giving these concrete um, 10 ways in which, you know, demonstrates what dignity looks like. Well, it looks like we treat everybody and accept everybody's identity. We treat mm -hmm. people fairly. We acknowledge them, all of this. It just makes it concrete. And that's because I needed that. I mean, quite honestly, I needed some very practical language to go out into the world and say, look, this is what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And people get it immediately. I mean, the thing is, it, it, you know, it's... Um, as I said, you know, common sense, but not common knowledge. I think that's well put. And given, you know, so much uh, political strife right now and, and people feeling violated in so many ways to put a, a name to it and saying their dignity is being violated certainly puts things in perspective and allows empathy to happen. So I think so important. Uh, you know, at the same time as you talking about these 10 elements of dignity, you talk about, I like this, avoiding taking the bait so that we don't violate dignity. So I just wanted you to take some time to, to talk about those things. So what are the things that we're trying to avoid so that we don't violate somebody else's dignity? So one of the things that I discovered in my research, and by the way, it took me seven years to mm -hmm. my first book because I was basically, you know, groping in the dark for answers sure. to questions because there were no elements of dignity before. And, 
And one of the things that I discovered was that um, there's this whole literature on evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology. And what these biologists are telling us is that, you know, we don't come into the world a blank slate. Our our mental uh, world is pre-programmed. When people threaten us, when people come at us and threaten us, we have these instant reactions. I mean, everybody knows about fight and flight. Mm-hmm. Even fight, flight, and freeze, that, that mm-hmm. one's been, uh, become common knowledge too. But what, ha- what, what these biologists and psychologists are telling us is that there are other things, other knee-jerk reactions that we have that dominate our behavior under circumstances of threat. So, for example, with taking the bait, one of the things that happens is, you know, when somebody hurts us or violates us, our dignity, we want to fight back. We want to get revenge or, or get even. And But what I have shown in this, um, I call these the 10, 10, 10 temptations to violate your own dignity. Mm. What happens here is if you take the bait and return the harm, you're going to let somebody else's bad behavior determine how you're going to act. Mm. So we don't want that, right? That's not a dig- that's not dignity leadership right there. That's somebody falling for um, and taking the bait and returning the harm and becoming a dignity violator. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to do that. We want to learn how to restrain ourselves when somebody comes back at us because it just creates a vicious cycle of, you know, indignities and it's a downward spiral. And so, so for example, the, uh, the other one that people do all the time is uh, try to save face. When someone mm. is exposed for a wrongdoing, I mean, we see this in the political world all the time, but it's also true in our lives. One, our first reaction is to deny the truth, mm-hmm. pretend it didn't happen, um, shame and blame other people for whatever it is. And, um, but, you know, in the end, the, the most wonderful thing about the human experience is that the truth always prevails. It may take some time, but, you know, because the truth is the biggest casualty with these instant impulses and reactions. So people try to cover up and lie and everything, and then eventually, okay, you know, it all comes out that, yes, he did have an affair. or yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so these are things that we want, these temptations, I call them temptations. Um, they're things that we really need as leaders and people who have a dignity, what I call dignity consciousness, who have this understanding of dignity. We need to learn to develop restraint because we don't want to just end up looking, becoming a violator because of our biological reactions, you know? So um, it's, life is tough, you know, being a human being is not easy. And, and especially with little kids, trying to get little kids to recognize when these instinctive behaviors get triggered, right? And say, no, 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 you don't want to fight back. You don't want to. So it's just something that I think is so critical for us in our, in our knowledge of what it means to be a human being, that if you don't know that we already have these pre-programmed ways of responding when, um, when somebody violates us, it's it's... We need this information so that we don't create more and more dignity violations. Absolutely. So, you know, you've talked about dignity in general, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what parents and educators really need to know to teach kids how to be dignity leaders. What what do we need to do now? What what is it that what's like one of the first things we can do or a couple things that we can do right away to help kids become dignity leaders? Well, I defer to Carol uh, Gramentine, my my colleague in uh, at Trinity Valley School uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, because she has put together uh, a remarkable curriculum, as I told you, for these third third graders. There are other schools too. There's one um, Berkeley Carroll School in New York also integrates the dignity model into the school curriculum, and La Jolla Country Day School. I mean, there there's several schools who are now working with this, but more than anything, the teachers and the parents really have to have a working knowledge of this dignity, of what it is, what it looks like, you know, what it feels like for their children um, to come home after suffering dignity violations. Um, You know, the word bullying is another way of talking about dignity violations. And in fact, when the 
the work that I had done out in La Jolla Country Day School was really an attempt to address bullying. And I said, mm -hmm. no, you know, we're not going to just talk about bullying because the entire school, all the teachers, the parents, they all need to understand what we're up against here as human beings <clears throat> in order to teach our kids, protect them from all of this harm that, you know, it's not physical harm. It's not like they break their, you know, uh, a bone or anything, but the mm -hmm. harm to their inner worlds is so, um, is so real for them. And so giving everybody in the, like La Jolla Country Day School is, is doing a most remarkable job with this. We've, I've talked to all of the teachers. I've talked to the administrators. I've even had sessions with parents to show them, look, we, this is some common knowledge that we need to all have as part of our vocabulary as a way of talking to our kids about what's happening to them, good and bad, right? Because we don't want them to just avoid dignity violations. We want them to know how to honor dignity and others too. But of course, when you when I go into a school, it's because there's some kind of suffering going on, right? Whether it's bullying or some kids are suffering, or so the other the, the upside to this, Robin, is knowing okay, how how do we teach our kids how to? What does it look like to um, accept everybody's identity? What what does acknowledgement look like? What is fairness and safety? So working with these concepts and the, the most important thing to make this age appropriate, uh, you know this as a child uh, development person, mm -hmm. you need to make it age appropriate. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Carol does with these third graders is she she gives them a list of these, you know, my my words, the 10 elements of dignity. And she said, okay, our first task is to figure out how to make these kids friendly. Yes, so yes. the kids sit together and they come up with, uh, you know, their own version of language that makes sense to them. So, for example, with acceptance of identity, they, what these little ones des, uh, decided would be a good way to make it more understandable to them is to say everybody matters. Mm -hmm. So, and again, there's the wisdom, right? There's the internal wisdom that we just need to draw out because they know these things. Their inner worlds are as rich as, you know, and, and raw with experience. And so we have to draw them out. And that's what Carol does. So, and again, mm -hmm. making it age appropriate is important. But here's a funny story. When uh, Carol uh, first started working with a dignity model, she had her... Um, uh, parents would come in and they would talk about what she was doing and how she was training them to be dignity leaders. And this one little guy went home one night and sitting at the table, dinner table with his older brother and uh, mother and father. And um, they had some tense conversation going on with between the parents and mother in particular and the older brother. It was really tense and you could feel the conflict and the tension in the air. And the little uh, third grader who had taken Carol's, you know, leadership training turned to his mom and said in the sweetest way, he said, well, you know what, mom, I have a feeling you just violated his dignity. <laughs> what you just said was a violation of his, and, and she just, you know, it kind of cut through the tension and she just laughed and she said, you know what? Let's say his name was Johnny. You know, Johnny, you are right. I think I did just violate your brother's dignity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when the when the parents can share in that language and share in that, um, you know, that what I call the dignity consciousness, and and it's really so powerful. It is, uh, and, and like this one woman, she went to Carol and said, "This has basically changed our family dynamics." Oh, it's so amazing. Once these kids have the language, they are able to recognize it and then bring it about. You know, they can talk about it. And how empowering for that young person to feel like that he was able to add some such a an interesting perspective to what was going on when so many young people feel like there's nothing they can do to assist the world, assist their families. This was such a key way. I love that he felt that he could speak up and that he was truly heard. So that was really terrific. And bravo to that family for taking a beat and realizing it. 
Bravo to that mom. Yes. It couldn't have been a a better reaction. Yes, exactly. That could have gone a really bad direction. So I'm very impressed. Um, So I'm wondering, you... You know, you've you've sat with these ambassadors and these generals and these presidents. If you were sitting with students who came from different backgrounds and you could feel some, you know, some tension, you could feel that people were being avoided or left out or pushed aside or, or even treated poorly outwardly. What would be the first thing that you would want to say or do with these students to get them on a path to start thinking about dignity? Well, one of the things I do um, across the board, no matter whether I'm dealing with, you know, young adults or uh, generals or, you know, people in the workplace or your colleagues and Um, employee management relationships, no matter what, the very first thing I do when I'm I'm called in to do an intervention is I start out with what I call um, Dignity 101, a Dignity 101 session. So it's like having a seminar in Dignity. What I do is I um, I, it's like I teach a, a short course class. You know, I go in, let's say for the first day, I talk about, I share the language, I share the 10 elements of dignity, I share the 10 temptations, there are other building blocks to the model, what I call the dignity model. I am, I am, um, I ask them to sit, even though they may be having disagreements, I want them to sit together and think of themselves as students of dignity. They are sitting there learning together about dignity. And and again, it doesn't matter whether it's the, you know, the uh, chief executives of an organization with their employees. I do exactly the same thing because I want them all to be on the same page. I want them all to know what dignity is, what it feels like to have their dignity harmed. You know, I, get, I take them through what I call reenactments of dignity violations so that they can see it kind of like role plays. But it's more intense because they're real. They're not fake roles. They're real experiences that the people had suffered. So once that's finished, Robin, once they go through this preliminary educational piece to the to the work, then we sit down and I, I almost don't even have to say anything because they're smart, you know, they're, the people are smart and they, they people will independently come up without my prodding and say, well, I, I can see that I violated his dignity, you know, the, the adversary over here. And and, you know, because I don't like shaming people. I, I, I hate when people um, are are uh, confronted and then, you know, they're shamed for what they do. Mm. That doesn't do any good. We want people to be able to feel safe enough in that environment that they can be vulnerable and say just what I said this one. I mean, this happens a lot. People will just, you know... I, in, on their own, come up out and say, yeah, now I see why we're having this problem because, oh my gosh, you know, I violated his dignity. Mm-hmm. And then they apologize and, you know, it's, it ends up being a very powerful session when, so, but I give it to them and I give them the benefit of the doubt that they will be able to connect the dots because people can, they can mm-hmm. connect the dots. And so, um, you know, it, it makes my work easier in the sense that I don't have to be pulling this out of people. I give them the language, give them the tools, give them the skills they need, and they they do it themselves. Mm. So it's, it's really quite a remarkable process. It, it sounds like it, and what an amazing thing to be witness to that. Are there any exercises or activities Anything that a parent could do with a child or a teacher could do with a child, aside from giving them the language and having them sort of, you know, create their own language with it, what would be, you know, maybe a series of questions that they should ask them or uh, some a kind of activity that they could go through to get at the heart of dignity in their own lives? Right. Well, I mean, some of the easiest ways of getting people to understand this, young and old, um, is to ask ask them, so tell me about a time when you felt really 
you know, felt really bad about the way someone treated you. Now, you notice I wouldn't use the word dignity yet. I would mm-hmm. say to them, tell me, about, tell me about a time when you felt, um, you know, really attacked, but not physically attacked, but, you know, you felt shame or you felt, you know, like really bad that somebody treated you in such a harsh way. And they tell the story, right? They tell the story. And, and then, and then I would say, I say to them, and this is really a good technique with, with younger people. I then say to them, okay, you know, that sounds really awful. Cause I, I like to acknowledge the story when they're telling it. I mm-hmm. say, oh, that sounds so painful. And that sounds so hard. I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And then I say to them, how would you have wanted to be treated? Mm-hmm. Because it puts the spotlight back on them. You know, I'm acknowledging it, but then I want it to be, to stay on them. I want them to say, because they know, Robin, they, mm-hmm. whether you're young or old, they, they know how they would have wanted to be treated. And, and then at that point, you know, you after they tell the story, it's usually quite cathartic. I mean, mm. in, I've seen grown men and women cry when I ask them that question. Um, so, so there's something um, there's something very uh, freeing about being able to tell your story because, look, I mean, you're getting acknowledgement even by asking the question, "What was the story?" Right? You're you're being seen, you're being heard, you're being listened to. That, that in that one simple question, you can you can um, demonstrate value that they are worthy of your time and attention. They are worthy. You want to listen to them. You want to hear what happened. So because you know what, Robin, you know this. I'm 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 I would bet you know anything that you know this that. People just, they have an expectation about how they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. We all know how we want to be treated. We might not have the words to describe it, but we we know, and we know that crushing feeling uh, Mm -hmm. of what it's like and that humiliation, that sense of shame. Um, And so, you know, we got to sort of tap into that. And again, by asking that simple question, um, it reveals so much. Yes, I I believe you and and have seen it happen myself, both with children and with adults, that just by giving them a space and a time to tell their stories and to to say, I I get it and I see you and I understand and I'm hearing you just to be there. I mean, that's I love that so much of what you teach in the actual teaching of it is showing the whole aspect of dignity. And that's really what we want to do. We want to integrate it into how we behave in life. Um, That it's not necessarily what we're saying uh, about dignity, but actually what we're doing and how how we give people the space and the moment and our attention so that they feel valued and that they matter. All of that, you just said it beautifully. I mean, it's all of that, and I would just underline it 10 times (laughs) because I couldn't have said it any better. Oh, well, thank you for that. And I would love your top tip. What do you want people to know or do uh, around dignity so that we can raise dignified leaders? What's your top tip that we'd send uh, parents and educators and coaches away with today? But what I what I find everywhere, um, and I mean everywhere, in all different venues, all different um, organizations, is that good people, I mean really good, decent people, um, are without dignity, awareness of dignity, end up harming others mm-hmm. by, only through their ignorance, not because mm-hmm. they're bad people. And, you know, as I said, Robin, this took me seven years to put together, and so... So if, if people would just make it a priority to learn about this, just to, to make this um, a way of life, because this, this improves relationships like you wouldn't believe, even if you have a strong relationship, learning about dignity, how to, just like we were, you were saying, how to, you know, treat someone, even strangers, you know, um, 
And, and so taking the time, this is what my top tip is, make sure, take this seriously because dignity matters. Mm. It really, really matters. And now there's a way to talk about it. There's a way to spread it. And, and again, the most wonderful thing is once we get this, I mean, our lives are filled with joy. I mean, I cannot tell you how I've seen people just awaken to a joyfulness once they, once they uh, internalize this wonderful idea that we're all born with dignity and that we all need to, you know, be the guardians of that dignity. All of us, we all, not only our own dignity, but the dignity of others and, and even the dignity of things greater than ourselves. So that's my top, uh, my top tip is just, just take the time to explore it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, as, as parents and educators and coaches can share it and, and make sure people know about it and can talk to kids about it. And of course, as we've, as we've seen these kids take it in and then they, they live it and they share it with others. So you're spreading the word and I would love for people to know more about you and where they can get more information about you and your book. So what is the resource of the week? Well, my website has quite a bit on it. Doctor, uh, this is all lowercase, drdonnahicks.com. Um, and both of my books are on that website, uh, leading with dignity. The more recent one, um, does have a focus on, there is a whole chapter on educating young leaders and I just love that chapter because there's the joy right there and seeing how these young people are, um, are actually taking on this charge of trying to create more dignity in the world. Mm. Why don't you tell us um, what was one example of, of a way that somebody was being a dignified leader um, in, in, in any of these young people that you've met or heard about? Well, I, I can tell you a story that um, one of the educators out at La Jolla Country Day School told me is about a, uh, a kid who is in a classroom who was being, um, you know, harassed uh, by a group of kids. And one of the very cool girls in the class stood up and said, stop this. This is not acceptable. This is really, you're hurting, you're, you know, you're violating his dignity. Mm-hmm. And even the teacher didn't do it, right? Even the, te- and the, the, the young woman, the young um, student, she said, you know, we, we need to, we need to speak up when this happens and this is not okay. And the, the, the kid who was being harassed um, told the story about how he will never forget that woman mm. or young woman that how she came to his rescue and how 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 much power we have in a situation like that to affect the how someone is feeling and so this this young boy is said that he's just it, she was his hero mm. and from that day because somebody came to his rescue mm. when everybody else was just sitting there including the teacher the teacher didn't even say anything. Mm. So, I mean, that's Amazing. dignity leadership um, in, in, my, in my world. That's yes, real. it's taking such a risk, isn't it? Like this okay. person just put themselves right in there, took the risk, yeah. said what was on her mind and let her character guide her and uh, make sure that, th- that she did the wrong, right thing, but that the right thing was done by this by, by the situation for this boy. So uh, what an amazing story. Yeah, that's a story of character right there. That's an act of character. It is. It's an act of character. And we certainly want our kids to feel like they can stand up and say something. And especially when it's something so important, uh, a core value like dignity, that somebody feels like they can stand up. And you know what? it may have set that boy up on such a path to then do the same thing. So, and I hope it would, and I imagine it would, that he probably paid it forward and, and was able to do that for others. I, what a great story. Yes, yeah, so I love that story. Well, I want to thank you so very much, Dr. Donna Hicks, for your insight and your strategies and all that you've said about dignity, what we need to avoid, what we need to embrace, how to break it down. 
such invaluable information that I know we all can use and take and and really impart to the kids in our lives, but also use ourselves. Uh, as we know, this certainly doesn't stop as we get older. We still need to use all of this information in our work life, in our family life, between friends and in our communities. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking such time today with us and teaching us about dignity and how it relates to leadership and conflict and conversation. Thank you so very much. Oh, you're welcome, Robin. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page. Let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram. We're putting memes up there. We'll be putting memes up there for Dr. Hicks on some of the great quotes that she had during this podcast so that you can take those and you can share them and you can share them on Instagram and you can share them on Facebook and everywhere else that you'd like to put them because this is important information. We want to have this information front and center so that we can take it in and talk to our kids about it. What a great conversation at the dinner table and in the car. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll kindly go up to iTunes and rate and review it. I can't tell you how much it means to me that you do that because it really does help to put the podcast front and center and give this episode the life it needs. We want people to hear about what Dr. Donna Hicks is talking about because it is one of the most important things that we can talk about with kids these days. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. Great podcasts up there. The show notes to this podcast will be up there as well, as well as the memes. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, I know some of you are probably thinking back to certain situations and certain conversations that you've had when you said, oh gosh, now I'm putting two and two together and maybe I also violated somebody's dignity. You've got this. You can always go back. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. And parenting and these relationships, you can do them over. I see you, I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.